that Jesus himself wrote letters to the churches. And, and in particular, I think of, and we've seen in, in the seven churches that Jesus is painting a picture that he wants us to see. This is the whole church, even though there was way more than those seven churches, right? There's also churches that will fit kind of very interesting into time periods. And, and I particularly, out of studying, um, especially the last few weeks, I think this church is, I would call, closely related, like kissing cousins, to the American church. And I want you to have that in your mind as we go through this study. Now, we went through and already laid all, out all the history, so I'm not going to re, re-go through all of that. But it was a very prosperous, very prosperous church, one of the most prosperous churches. Um, their industry was phenomenal. Um, they were really lacking in nothing in the, in the physical realm. But Jesus brings a letter to them, and it's one of the only, there's two letters that doesn't have a good word. When Jesus can't give a good word to somebody, there's something going on there, right? He wasn't always just encouraging, giving like, oh my gosh, you're the greatest thing like we do with our grandkids or with our own kids at times. We think, I mean, I think my kids are pretty amazing. But there is, there is some times that I'm like, that wasn't pretty amazing. <laughs> and and Jesus, uh, he does that in this letter. <clears throat> he does remind him in this letter that he disciplines those that he loves also. I f- find that interesting. So, going over the text, Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, we'll read through 22, but we will probably only get into verses 15 and 16, maybe 17 today. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. Now, we studied that previously. That's quite the handle that he wants us to say. He's basically saying, like, look, what I'm telling you is straight up truth. He goes on, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, we don't see a tone change in this letter, but I felt (laughs) as I was studying this, there's a I think there's a tone change in Jesus' voice as he gets to this point of this letter. And I feel that it's, he's, he's coming pretty strong, as we just read. And I feel there's a, a little bit of a shift in his heart. And maybe not. Um, it's just something I'm looking into, into this. And then he says, I advised you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Remember, they had gold refineries there. That you may become rich. And white garments not the black wool that they were famous for, that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Him and him with ears. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Do we have ears today? Okay, then this is for you. Praise the Lord. Bless the reading of your word, Lord. <clears throat> so we went over the, the amen, the faithful and true witness a few weeks ago. And we're on point two, the I know your deeds. And he says that you are neither cold nor hot. The faithful amen, the faithful witness, the one who knows from beginning and to end. When he says, I know your deeds, he knows your deeds. And he tells this church that you're neither cold nor hot. <clears throat> He's letting them know very quickly in this letter, I'm the amen, I'm the faithful and true witness, I know, it, I know it all, and you can't fool me. 
He's done this to many of the letters. You hear that. I know your deeds. I know you. See, it's one thing for people, for especially Christians, to stand at a distance. And when we know people, they kind of know us. But they really don't know you. And you can kind of be one way here. And you can be one way somewhere else. How many know people like that? <clears throat> now, don't raise your hand if you know them here. It's that second service group, right? <laughs> but <clears throat> I'm pretty plain. I had a pastor. He was from Arkansas, and he had all these weird things he would say. At least I thought they were weird to him. They were normal. But he would say, I'm as plain as a bar of soap. I was like, I don't know what that means, but um, it sounds good. So I'm kind of plain like that. I'm pretty plain. What you see is what you get. If I'm pretty much the same here as I am anywhere else, and that doesn't necessarily mean that's a great thing. That's just, it's just the truth. Um, I just as about as fancy as I get dressed up unless I have to, say have to, go to a wedding or a funeral. And for me, they're very similar, <laughs> especially if I have to do them. It's, it's rough when you have to be like scripted and you have to follow all this stuff. Everybody's watching you and you're like, it's not when I can minister. I can, like, like, I can go squirrel like I am now. But when you're doing a wedding or a funeral, like you can't jack that up. I mean, you can, but it's not good. You don't get a redo. Like next Sunday, I mean, we're going to just, I'll have another service in about 45 minutes. <laughs> redo. Jesus knows us. He knows us, knows us. We can't fool him. We can't be like, well, you know, this is how I am. And he's like, that might be who you think you are. That might be what you think you are but I know you. And he's telling this church, very really, I know you. He's given them a very, very sharp rebuke. It's not, <clears throat> this isn't nice Jesus. This isn't the Jesus everybody's like, oh, well, Jesus is just so loving and kind. Jesus is bringing a smack down. And he does that. How many know that? How many of you have met not so kind Jesus? How many of you met the Jesus that will put you over his knee? Because he loves us. Amen? Now, how many have also met the Jesus who, like, after he puts you over his knees, just picks you up and he loves on you? He's like, I so love you. Amen? See, this church had fallen back. <clears throat> At one point, just like all of us, when we come to know Jesus, most of us, when you encounter him, you're on fire. Like, I don't, if you don't like get radical, like, there's not some radical thing that happens in you when you meet Jesus. I don't know if you met him. Are you following me? Because I don't know about you, because when I met him, it was like the biggest explosion. It was like, remember those old things you'd see on the, the, the atomic bombs? You'd see them out in the ocean, those tests or like, that's what happened in my life. It got jacked up in such a great way. Like, it was everything that was once this way was now destroyed. And now I'm rebuilding. And he's leading the charge on the rebuilding. And he's like, yeah, all this stuff you had, it was all in the wrong place. Let me help you rebuild. And, if, and if, when you met him, it wasn't like super dynamic because you met the creator. The amen, the faithful and true one, the one who was from the beginning and will be hereafter. Like, if you encounter him, it wrecks you. How many encountered that? Like, that's a reality that doesn't, I don't think changes for anyone. Now, some people were at different various degrees. And I know I was so jacked up that it was like, whoa. And other people that weren't as jacked up as me, it may not be as well, but it's still going to put you on your face. Right? You're still going to know, like, woe is me, I'm a man undone. Right? So this church started like that. And then somehow had cooled off. They were on fire when they first started. Now here's the crazy thing. is Jesus says something. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. They weren't cold either. And when I first read the book of Revelation, I was in jail. I had just been saved. 
And I did the craziest thing that probably I wouldn't, I would never encourage anyone to do this, newly saved. First two books you read, I read, I read Ezekiel, and then I read Revelation. Now, I had a lot of questions, do you think? <laughs> now, I had a huge question when I got to this part in Revelation, when he says, I would rather you be hot, or I would rather you be cold. That bothered me. I'm like, I'm following you. I don't know what, what. That doesn't make no sense. God, that doesn't make sense. Why would you rather someone be cold than warm? I'm like, warm's better than cold. Like, I need to tell God. Like, God, I th you screwed up. Right? I mean, don't we do that? I don't know if you're aware, Lord, but let me give you a little counsel. <laughs> warm is better than cold. He's like, thanks, Captain Obvious. Right? So knowing that he's probably smarter than me, I started to ask, like, so I must be missing something. Can you help me with this? And I heard the Lord, the Holy Spirit, speak to me very, very clearly. And he didn't do it right when I asked. But I'm laying down on my bunk, thinking about all kinds of things. And I hear the Lord say, I would rather them be cold than lukewarm, because when you're cold, you know you need warmth. When you're cold, you know you need heat. And I was like, oh, oh, that's real. He's like, they're lukewarm, and they thought they were just fine. I said, oh, Lord, that makes a lot more sense. Now, I never heard any pastor ever share that. I never read a book that ever said that. And you can think whatever you want in that. But I believe that was the Lord. And I believe it made the most perfect sense. And when you read through this letter, you're going to understand. They were not cold anymore to realize their need for that consuming fire. And a church, when we are in a lukewarm state, that's the most dangerous state to be in. This is a letter that on the outside, this church had it going on. But Jesus is like, you repulse me. If you, and it, this was a very kind way to say, I'll spit you out of my mouth. The Greek is vomit. Like, you make me ill. Like, I must get rid of you out of me. Are we in him? He's in us. He's like, ugh. That's the worst. I mean, this church that looks so amazing, he's like, ugh. You know what that tells me? We really don't know our state. A lot of these seven churches, a lot of the churches that believe, I, I think they thought, man, we are so messed up. We don't have anything. We're always persecuted. Jesus is like, you guys are amazing. They're like, what? The churches that thought they had it going on, they're like, ugh. That tells me I need to really be checking in with him, measuring what he says to where my state is and talking to him and being in a relationship because I can be fooled very easily. Amen? And he loves us enough to tell us. They were indifferent. This, this is a very interesting. They were indifferent to challenges to their service. What am I saying? They were indifferent when, when they were challenged. Hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't, eh. 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 Are you sure everything's, oh yeah, we're good. Because here's what I know. The Holy Spirit will speak to us. How many has been indifferent to when he speaks? Eh. Dude, God's talking to you, right? I mean, sometimes I get, we, we, we have fellowship and we get, and then I'm like, holy smokes. Like, God's talking to me. Like, I can talk to him. And I'm pretty sure he means what he says. Right? He's like, you know, I really like it. I'm like, eh. eh, if I kind of get to it, if I feel like it, I don't know. Like, they had definitely gotten indifferent, had to have, in my mind. I believe they got very indifferent to his calls to repentance. Can I get really real? 
That's this church at times. There were some people that misunderstood some services back, and it wasn't this service, it was in the second service. There was a very real call from the Lord. Very, very real. I felt, I can't tell you, I can't even explain the feeling of the passion of the Lord to have people come and get free and get delivered and get healed. And a lot of people just sat there. And I'm like, can you not feel that? Can you not sense the urging of the Holy Spirit and of the Lord to say, come? And we can, and we can literally just be like, They're indifferent to challenges to their service. They're indifferent to challenges to their structure. They're indifferent to challenges and calls to repentance. They were also no longer hot enough to respond to the Spirit's moving. So there wasn't really a whole lot getting accomplished for the Lord. See, we can do stuff. We can have marriage classes, and don't get me wrong, there's no one that's married that don't need to go to a marriage class. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care who you are. Like, there's no good reason to be like, I wonder if the Lord would be in us wanting to tune up our marriage. You don't have to pray and ask him. I will tell you. He said Yes. Which hand is the rock in? Let's see. In, in a time where, like, it's crazy, we're all having to, like, teach our own kids? Be locked up for a year with them? Spouses together? It's been a great year, honestly. Side note. Um, yeah, squirrel. Uh, California is passing a bill or, or presenting a bill to keep churches open. Hey, that's awesome. Good thing they caught up with us. <laughs> right? They, they're catching up. The Supreme Court four times has defended churches in California's right to assemble. Amen. Now, that's not going to change what we do one way or the other. But I'm happy for everyone else. Right? That's awesome. Thank you. God bless America. Right? That's, some people would be, I know I'm on a side note, but some people I think got maybe a little frustrated. Some people were glad that, you know, we made a stand. Other people were like, well, you shouldn't get involved in that. No, if the church doesn't get involved in our rights and our freedoms, then who's going to do it? Okay. So that was awesome. I watched the thing, and there was all kinds of people at the Capitol, like, going on. And it's like, God bless, man. There's some pastors that are standing up, and they're leading the charge. And I'm like, heck yeah, good for them, right? That's, that's encouraging. Pastors get a bad rap a lot of time. Just saying. And, and some of it's true. Some of it's right. But not all. Amen? We need to encourage those men that are standing up and women who are standing up and going, no, not on my watch, right? They're not lukewarm. But nothing was really getting accomplished for the Lord. That's concerning. You can have programs. You can have something going every single day of the week. But if he's not in it, and you don't even know he's not in it, but we're doing stuff. Is he with you doing this stuff? Is he with me doing stuff? Or is it just a check like, oh, that was so funny, right, Juanita? That was straight from heaven. Never... She says, I've never done that before. Or is it just punch the ticket? I made it to church Sunday. Click. That's lukewarm. Or when you walk in and you come into this, this place and you're like, woo! I get to see my brothers and sisters. I'm going to worship Jesus. Today's a good day. Right? Like, and... And it's crazy. Sometimes people can come into a church and they're like, well, it wasn't very loving. Well, it should have been. You were here. 
Did you bring Jesus with you? Well, I didn't really feel very welcome. Well, it should have. Well, I don't know. Well, you were here. And I usually take this role. That church was messed up. Yeah, because I was there. <laughs> if it was good, it's probably jacked up now because I'm here. What if we took that role? I'm an unperfect person. I got to share with a, um, with a coach that I coach with. Didn't have, they came to church last week. It blew my mind. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. But I got to share with her, like, look, the church is full of a bunch of jacked up people. You need to know that. And I'm one of them. Like, I don't get to just go play golf and fish like every Sunday because I'm so screwed up. I need to come to church every week. Like, I need Jesus. If he's a crutch, I need two of them. Like, that's the reality. And I said, I have to say, I was like, you know, I was a hot mess. I'm not a hot mess really anymore because I got Jesus. But I have my moments. As soon as I step outside of him, I'm a hot mess again. I said, I was a hot mess. And the person goes, whew, that's good because I'm a hot mess. I said, well, then you're coming to the right spot. Because we're just a bunch of people who were hot messes who understood we can't do this thing without him. Amen? And we need to have that mindset when people come in. I'm one of those who, like, when I come in the church, if it was perfect, it ain't perfect anymore. So get over it. We're not looking for per perfection. We're looking to be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen? The author and the finisher of our faith. That's what I'm looking to be conformed to that image. To be molded. And there's a little song I heard when I was a kid. He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. Can you imagine? It took him like a week to do that. But he's taken a lifetime to transform me into his son's image. That's a hard lump. He goes on to say, because you're lukewarm. He doesn't even argue that fact. He's like, you're neither hot nor cold. So because you're lukewarm, part of the reason they were lukewarm, we remember in our, in our history studying this church, they didn't have a defensive position. A lot of the other cities were, had like cliffs or different things they, they could fight. They really, they didn't have a defensive position. And they were, got really good at just kind of blending and moving with whatever sway Anyone, hey, you know, this is how it's going to be. Oh, okay, that's not a problem. They just were like the Switzerland. Just, okay, that'll work. All right, we're good. They didn't stand up to anything. They, they, just, they just kind of molded and blew with the wind and all kinds of, oh, that's cool. Like, that's what a lot of Christians are doing today. They don't stand up and go like, hey, that's not okay. Well, you're racist if you think that. What? People are afraid to just speak the truth. Well, you're intolerant. And I'm like, well, isn't it intolerant to say that I'm intolerant? Just flip it on them. I don't have a problem. You can wear a mask. You can wear a, I don't care. You can wear a wetsuit. You can wear a hazmat suit. I don't care. You have a right to do that. I'm not intolerant. You have a right to say whatever you want with your own business, and I don't have to go in or I can go in. That's not intolerant. But the church somehow has been afraid to just speak the truth. Is that the truth? Well, well brother, we got to love them. Well, yeah, I love them. That doesn't mean I'm not going to speak the truth. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. That don't mean you, like, you go in there and you're like, I ain't wearing your stupid mask. That's stupid. And kick the door and, you know, be a Karen. We don't need to do that. You better get your manager. Oh, stop. Just put a mask on or don't. Amen? Get a shot or don't. I wouldn't. But if you have to, then get a shot. Pray, Lord, protect me. 
Like I already told you, if it requires me getting a shot to fly out of this country, if God tells me to go back to Africa or to go back to another, you know how many shots I got to go to Africa? A lot. And I don't know what was in that, except for I felt like both my shoulders were going to fall off when they were done popping me. Like seven on this side, eight on this side. Like, what the heck? But you know what? I felt God called me to do that. So if God calls me to go minister and that's like, well, you're not getting on this plane. Well, then guess what I'm going to do? But if I don't have to, you can stick that shot. I'm going I'm to go without it as long as I can. And the shot isn't the mark of the beast. Stop it. It's a precursor. I believe you're getting set up. Everyone put on your mask. You can't go into the store. You can't buy and sell and trade without it. Everyone get the shot. You won't be able to fly. You won't be able to do this unless you get your passport. You, I believe it's all preparation. But we ain't going to be here. When all that's going on, I'm, I'm sitting around the throne singing the song of the redeemed. So don't, don't worry. The Lord is disturbed when he's dealing with people he can neither use nor bless. That's lukewarm people. He can't use you and he can't bless you. That's the worst of it all. We want to like, oh, Lord, we think we're in line and entitled to all these blessings. And every one of his promises are yes and amen. But there's some conditions. <laughs> there's always conditions to the blessings. And there's conditions for the curses. But if you're in neutral, right? If you, put, if you go ahead and just pop that thing in neutral, you're not going forward. How many try to go forward in neutral? Sounds good. You're not going nowhere. So you can hit the throttle all you want. But you're not doing nothing. You're not going nowhere. He ain't with you in that. He's not like, man, that was a great rev. He's like, no, I wanted you to go somewhere and do something. So go ahead and stick that thing in gear. Amen? Obedience is what puts things in gear. The action, right? He's like, hey, just listen to my words. Don't ever apply them. We're going to be good. No, he's like, I really don't care if you, if you listen. I need you to put them into action. Amen? That's how you build a solid foundation. You know, I, have a, we were, I was sitting there just worshiping earlier. And I remember saying, like, God's shaking things. Right? He's shaking things. The sad thing is the church is getting shook right along with the world. Let that sink in. Aren't we supposed to be founded on the rock? If you're founded on the rock, I don't care what's shaking. I'm solid. I ain't going anywhere. The rest of the world could be getting shook upside down, and we should be able to be like, hey, it's pretty nice right now, ain't it? People else go, oh, my gosh. Dude, it's a 7.5 earthquake. Everything's falling apart. You're like, my house is looking pretty good. Why don't you come over? My gosh, what did you build your house on? Let me tell you. Amen? Here's the, here's the crazy thing. Think about this. The lukewarm church. These lukewarm people. They didn't really, they didn't, they didn't oppose Jesus. It's not like they were against him. Right? You're not in opposition to what he's saying. So that makes you think, well, I'm on his side. He's like, but you're not doing it. You're not against it, but you're not doing it. Just not being against him isn't enough. You follow that? Well, I agree with him. whoop de do. Well, I believe. I mean, I remember telling my mom, I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but there ain't blank he can do about this situation. So did I believe? You know what I believed? Exactly what the demons believe. And the devil believes that God is God. The devil and the demons believe that God created the heavens and the earth. The devil and the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they tremble. And they tremble. 
They didn't oppose him, but neither did they draw near to him. He says, draw close to me, and I'll draw close to you. Amen? How many know it's a lot more comfortable to worship Jesus from a distance? Man, I got, it is so quiet today. And I'm not mad. Is it or is it not? It's a lot more comfortable to follow Jesus at a distance. Ask Peter. Once they came, once it got real, and everyone say, talks about Peter, where was everyone else? Only John and Peter stuck around. Peter started, the Bible says, begin to follow at a distance. The next thing, the next bad step is you see him warming himself at the enemy's fire. When you follow close to Jesus, it's probably going to cost you something. And in this day and age, you better be close. Huh? You should be so close that they can identify you. They're one of his. They're different. And you should be able to be like, that's me. I'm one of those different ones. I'm one of those that you smack me across my face. I'm going to say, I love you. I'm working on that. I'm not there yet. I can't walk on water yet either. But that's what I want. I want to be able to be just, I love you. I want to be like Jesus. It's going to be require being close. This is what bothered Jesus. A church that bore his name had the name, but none of the characteristics. Had the name, but not the nature. Just because you put a name on something doesn't mean it's, it's his. You know that by him, or I'm jumping way ahead, but you know that by him having to go and go, hey guys, guys, can I come in? They were having church. They didn't even know he wasn't even in there. He was knocking. Can I come in? And he's, the Holy Spirit's such a gentleman, so he didn't kick in the door. How many, how many of you have felt him knock on the doors of your homes? Knocking on my heart. Hey, Steve, can we have some time? Can I have some time? Eh. They claim to be Christians, but we're not doing the will of this Heavenly Father. You have your Bibles. That's a long stretch, right, before we got into another verse. Matthew chapter 21, I want you to see something. Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. The Pharisees had tried to trap him. They're always trying to trap him. Can you imagine? The religious leaders of that day who were supposed to be looking for the Messiah and recognizing the Messiah, the Messiah is in front of them, and they're messing with him, and they're trying to kill him, and they're trying to trip him up. And, it, and, and they know, actually, at some point, they know he is the Messiah. And how foolish it is, they're still trying to trip him up. So they're, they're, they ask him the question, what authority, by what authority do you do these miracles? And I love Jesus. He, he don't even answer. He just says, I've got a question for you. By what authority did John baptize? And then I'll tell you by what authority I did the miracles by. And he sets them up. And they get together and they huddle up and they're like, ooh, he did it again. If we say that John baptized by the authority of heaven, he's going to say, 
then why didn't you follow him? And why didn't you repent? So I well, can't say that. So they say, we don't know. He goes, well, then I'm not answering your question either. But then he goes on, and he gets to this part. Matthew 21, 28 through 32. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. But he replied, I do not want to. Yet afterward, he regretted it and went. And the man came to his second son and said the same thing. And he, he replied, I will, sir. And yet, he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get in the kingdom of God before you. Oops. Not so nice Jesus again. Can you imagine being told that? Jesus says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to get in the kingdom before you. And Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. Oh, they really don't like him now. They're like, I'm sure of it. We got to get rid of this guy. They hated, 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 loathed tax collectors. They're the biggest traitors that they could ever see because they turned on their own people. They were siding with Rome and making profit off the people. And they literally got to set, like Rome said, this is how much tax we need, and what you get paid is whatever you can get on top of that. You think our system's jacked? You put someone and says like, so this is the cut I need. Your payment's whatever else you get, whatever else you can get from them. So do you think the tax collectors were well-liked? They were the scum of the earth. And Jesus says, they're getting in the kingdom before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even have a second thoughts afterwards so as to believe him. Jesus is saying, they heard, they saw, and they did something about it. They actually did it. They didn't just be like, oh, I believe. He says, so which of the two sons was obedient? One said, forget that, I ain't doing that. And then went, you know what, I should probably do that. That was right. Those were the tax collectors. The pre that, that's how the gospel came to a lot of us at first. We're like, uh-uh. I don't want to have to do all that. And then, and then you're like, the Holy Spirit starts dealing with you. You're like, you know what? He's right. But here's these other group of people who think they're all that in a bag of chips. We're good. Are you following me yet? Like, we could be sitting in the church and God could be speaking to us and we're like, yes, brother, amen. Pastor Steve, that's a great word. And then the Lord speaks to you about that, and you're like, yeah, no, I ain't going up there. Yeah, no, I ain't going to go give that or go serve or go. Is this not what he's saying? Because you were lukewarm. That's what Jesus is saying. We're going to move on to the next point, because that one, I can tell, was just wonderfully amazing. <laughs> because you say I'm rich. This message will get a lot better probably next week. <laughs> point four, because you say I am rich, verse 17. This is something that's crazy. They have the, they are so blinded. He's telling them, like, this is what I see. And they're like, we're rich. What are you talking about? We got it going on. We got it going on. Because you say I'm rich. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on something a little bit here. The American church is the richest church. 
and that's, thank God, right? I'm not against riches, and neither is, neither is Jesus, neither is God. It's where your heart is. But when you measure, this is the problem. The American church has done, a, I think, a horrible job of, of propagating and spreading prosperity gospel to where this is the standard if you, if you have some beautiful lights. And I'm not against them. We have them. If you have a Mercedes, if you drive this, if this is, this is what it's supposed to be like, and you measure yourself by those things, and then you're affecting the world, and the rest of the world now is trying to measure themselves, and they're trying to become like the Laodicean church. How pleased do you think the Lord is with that? And not all of the American church, you know, so hear me. I'm not, but when one of the largest, pro, most profitable Christian doctrines is on all the Christian TV channels, and it's all about this is what it's supposed to be like. Just get ready. When you read this next, when we go back and read this, listen to what the Lord's saying. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. He says, I, we are in need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How many of you would say, when things are going really, really good in your natural realm... In the physical realm, when financially, especially, things are going really good for you, what's the spiritual realm looking like? Because that's what Jesus is saying. You're saying you're rich. I'm saying you're blind, you're naked, you're poor. You're not even able to realize because the outside's looking so good. Does every single one of us, could we eat, every single one of us go like, that's real? That's very real. That's the dangerous part. Now, here's the beautiful part. I believe, because I've seen it. I've seen in other countries where, there, where we are rich. You, could, you might think we're not rich. Well, I'm middle class. I'm lower middle class. I once thought that. And then you go where you have to get water with a Pennzoil plastic tub and a rope out of a hole in the ground. And there is no running water. And if you have any change in your pocket at all, you're rich. And we can go, I can turn, I mean, I remember just thinking, I got home and turned on the faucet, I'm like, that is wonderful. But you know, to flush a toilet is a good thing. The majority of the world doesn't have those things. We're so blessed. Those things can make us less dependent on the Lord. I know that to be true. I see a, there's a hunger. Remember Juanita was saying, like, we need you. The, the, Amer we, the church really doesn't need God very much anymore. Remember? That's how that happens. I seen an incredible need when I was in Africa. When God is your everything, when he is the hospital, when he is your grocery store, when he is your relationship with him, He's everything. Your dependence on him and your communication and your relationship with him gets really, really tight. Now, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean that if you have things, you can't have that. You totally can, and that's a beautiful thing. Most of the time, it doesn't work that way. We get the stuff, and we get sidetracked. The more stuff we get, the more sidetracked we get. And when I was over there, I saw very, I'm like, it's easier. It's easier for these people. And it just truly is. It's easier for the spiritual. They'll walk three and four miles in the rain through the mud to stand outside of a mud hut church because it was so full and look through a window to hear the gospel. But Americans won't even drive sometimes in a car because it's raining. But here's a beautiful thing. When we, this is the craziest thing, and the Lord showed me this some time back. When we that have all the stuff, 
all the distractions are able to put that stuff to the side and then say, God, you're everything. You're everything. None of this matters, Lord. I'm thankful for it. I, I realize that you've blessed me, but I don't have to have it. It's not that important. You're everything. When you can do that, that's a greater blessing than when you have nothing. And you say, you're everything. You hearing me? But that's something that we have to do and we have to discipline ourselves. To put him in first place. And not let that place get challenged by anything. Because when you don't have a whole lot of things vying for position, it's pretty easy for him to be in first place. Amen? That's why he's warning this church in particular. You guys are filthy rich. You think it's all going, you think it's all going on. And all the other churches are looking at you going, these guys are awesome. In the natural. But Jesus can see in the supernatural, in the spiritual. And he's saying physically in the natural, you guys have got it going on. It all looks good. But you don't need me. So much so, I'm having to go. Can I come in? The church that don't have anything, Jesus is like front and center. They had no clue. This is the thing. They had no clue. They were about to be vomited out. They're singing Kumbaya. Great are you, Lord. And the Lord's going. They had no clue. Because all the stuff looked right. They weren't aware of their spiritual need. Because they've been lulled to sleep by their physical. You follow me? Weren't aware of the spiritual need because they were so overwhelmed by the physical. They had all the goods. They were self-sufficient. Remember the name, what, what Laodicea meant? The rights and needs of the people. The rights of the people. I love our country, but we have a whole... Di capitalism and a democracy jacks you up to think, like, I have rights. <laughs> and I love our rights. Like we, This is the greatest country to be in by far. There is no better. But we get twisted when we start going into a kingdom mentality, and he's a king. Like, I don't have any rights. Like, my right is to serve you. That's my right. I don't get any other rights. Like, we, we can't transfer this life into the spiritual. Like, we go into this and, like, I'm, I'm, I'm naked. I'm poor. I'm wretched. Like, I might have stuff, but I got nothing. I'm coming to you broken. I'm coming to you empty-handed. I'm coming to you in need. Right? In the spiritual. I'm coming to you in need. God, I need you. Like, how many know there's way more important stuff than the cars you drive and the clothes you wear and all the house and all that stuff? The, the greatest thing that can happen to, to, that ever happened to me was it got taken away for a little while. And I realized how unimportant it was and how my happiness was not wrapped up in that stuff. And it can come or go. But we all have the ability to get caught up in the rat race. We start seeing what other people have. We start seeing... In the natural. But we need to see in the spiritual. So when people come amongst us that have a power and an anointing and the supernatural giftings inside of them, it causes us to hunger for those things. And we go, you know what, God? You could take all of it. If, if, if it meant, and God's not going like, Give, sell all your stuff or I'm not going to come and be with you. He may, if you won't let go of it. But if you get into a place that you're like, none of that matters, Lord, knowing you matters. You're the most important thing out of all of it. That's never going to change, Lord. And you know what? When you tell him that, and he knows that, if it's true or not. I've had, Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's given, and he's taken away. He had much, lost it all, still honored God. 
Like, that's where we need to be. Whether, whether we have, whether Paul said, I've learned how to be good in all circumstances. When I've had much, when I've had none. None of that changed him. And that's where we need to get. They were so busy with the material things that pass away. They were neglecting the spiritual realities that are eternal. Guilty. So easy to get caught up in those, these little things that just aren't going to matter. We need to be honing our focus, church. I'm not saying we can't be involved in stuff that's not church. My son's playing Little League. I'm a part of it. But there's a reality that I've, there's one girl on our team, and, and she was just highlighted. And she started sharing with me. I, there's, I'm there for a reason, not just to play ball. I'm there for a reason. She got to come to youth group. And thank God for Richard and April. And a youth group that was praying over her and, and speaking life over her and pouring into her. I'm getting to be a part of a team. And it was hard. It was not easy. This is, we got killed. 13 to nothing. They ended the game in the fourth inning. Thank you, Jesus. It's called a mercy rule. I was ready at, at the third inning. We were down 10 to nothing in the third inning. I asked the umpire, are we done now? He's like, nope, not till the fourth inning. Okay. Someone, I mean, this is very challenging. But in the midst of it, there's a purpose. There's a spiritual purpose that's way more important than this game. There's an eternity involved. I want you to close. I'm going to close with two passages of Scripture in the book of James. I was sitting where you're sitting in a Sunday school, adult Sunday school class in Valley Springs. We were going through the book of James, and we started to read from 4, 13 through 17 into chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And when we got done reading this, I'll never forget. The Lord said, this is the American church. Now, there's some subtitles. Can you put James chapter 4, 13 through 17 up, please? There's some subtitles. It says, in my, the Bible I was using, warning to the self-confident. James writes, come now. Is that in the Amplified? That's the Amplified that you have? Okay. Mine says this, come now and pay attention to this. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. I don't know where that such and such a city is, but they're going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there and carry on our business and make a profit. Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? You are merely a vapor like a puff of smoke or a whisk of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes into thin air. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. But as it is, you boast vainly in your pretensions and arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So any person who knows what is right to do but does not do it, to him, it is a sin. Now, we go to the next chapter at this point, chapter 5, and this is warning to the rich. Come quickly now, you rich, who lack true faith and hoard and misuse your resources. So here's the problem. Not that they're rich, who lack true faith and hoard and misuse your resources. Weep and howl over the miseries, the woes, the judgments that are coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and is ruined and your fine clothes. Doesn't this sound familiar? Like this passage in Revelation. Your wealth has rotted and is ruined and your fine clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up your treasure in the last days. 
when it will do you no good. Look, the wages that you have fraudulently withheld from the laborers who have mowed your fields are crying out against you for vengeance. And the cries of the harvesters have come to the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. On the earth you have lived luxuriously. You have come to the ear to the luxuriously and abandoned yourselves to soft living. Man, this is this is so strong. On the earth you have lived luxuriously and abandoned yourself to soft living and led a life of wanton pleasure, self-indulgence, self-gratification. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Warning to the self-confident. Warning to the rich. And some of you can say, well, Pastor Steve, like, what are you, are you you're upset with us because we're, we're blessed? No, not at all. I love that I'm rich. I love it. I love that I don't, I don't have to go dig a hole for, in a dirty water. I don't have to go dig a hole to go to the bathroom and cover it up. I love that I have a home. I love that. I love that we're blessed. But what I'm, I don't want is to be this Laodicean church that Jesus is speaking of. He's saying all those things have got you distracted. You're not able to recognize your spiritual state. This was the problem, I think, one of the things, besides the money. The Laodicean church suffered no persecution. When we go back and look at those other churches, there were churches that were persecuted. This church suffered no persecution. It was all prosperous. They didn't have problems with false, false apostles. They didn't have problems with false doctrines. Some of the other churches did. This church didn't. To the other churches, their situation was envied. Envied. And it looked ideal to all the other churches. Does that, does that not look as the American church? The rest of the world looks at us, as our church, as that's the model. That is the most ideal thing. And when you leave here and go to some of these other countries where they don't have any of that, you understand very quickly, you're rich. You're spiritually rich. They worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. When they worship God, demons come forth and manifest. And people, and you go pray for them, and there's an authority, and they come out. And people get healed radically. People get radically saved. They're rich spiritually. And yet we can go like, our bank account's fat. We got it going on. And we don't understand that, like, we're lacking. We're in need. The Laodiceans had allowed themselves to become so self-satisfied in their enjoyment of riches and the things money can buy that they had lost their desire for the things of God. I was reading a couple mornings ago. Actually, it might have been yesterday morning. Luke chapter 18. Verse 18. This will share what I'm, what I'm probably better than anything. This is about the rich man. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you must know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard this, he, he answered and he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? 
And he replied, what is impossible for people is possible for God. It is possible. Now, fast forward a few pages or a few, uh, we go into chapter 19, you see another rich man. Chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way throughout the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. There's a whole other message in there. That's basically saying there was people in his way. Zacchaeus was wanting to see Jesus, but there was people blocking and obstructing his ability to see Jesus. There's people trying to see Jesus today, guys. And there might be some people blocking their ability to see the real Jesus. Because we think Christianity is supposed to be what's how much stuff we have and all this other junk. And they can't see through the people to see what Jesus is really like. He's too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a, the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people, if I have cheated people, if I cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Listen to Jesus' response. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. God ain't against money. He's not against riches. He's against where it takes possession in our hearts. He's against the place that we put on it. Are you following me? Here's a rich man who's like, I need to know him. I want to see him. And when he comes in contact, he's like, you know what? I don't need all this junk. And you know what? I've been hosing some people. I'm going to repay them. You see the difference in the, the one man had all the stuff and Jesus said, hey, why don't you let go of that stuff? You, yeah, great job. You followed all those laws, but there's still one thing. All Jesus was saying is this thing's first place in your life. I need to be first place. And he wasn't willing. Just another chapter over, you see a man who's rich and wealthy and he's willing to go. I don't care about all that, Jesus. I want you. I need you. I'm not, I hope you hear me, church. I'm not, a, I'm not saying, like, it's wrong. If, if, if you've worked hard, you've invested well, you've been wise, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But don't let it consume you. Don't measure your spiritual by the physical and the natural. You need to let the eyes of the Holy Spirit look on you because he can see past all that stuff and say, are you spiritually wealthy? What's your spiritual bank account? Is it overdrawn? And I've learned in my own life, and I've seen it firsthand, that a lot of the time, the ones that are spiritually rich don't have a whole lot. Doesn't mean you have to be poor. It means you just have to make a decision. What's important? That's all it means. What's important? Is it going to be first in my life? No matter what. If, if, am I willing to say, it's all yours, Lord? Whatever you want me to do with it. Some God has blessed people so that you can be, and some of you are. You're great givers. And as long as you're keeping God in first place, he's going to keep pouring out and blessing you. And that's a beautiful thing. But he hasn't called all of us to be rich. Because a lot of us can't handle it. Because this church had it all going on, and he's saying, Ugh. So he doesn't want to make a bunch of us rich so we can be rich and miss out. But some have been able to 
know that God's in first place and it's all his anyways, and God uses them and blesses them greatly. So I'm not against people that have money. I just don't want none of us to be fish bait. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone go fishing on a rough ocean? You're chumming. At least I did. Eric knows. That don't go well. And that's what Jesus is like. Hey, don't measure yourself by yourself. And it's sad to me. The whole lot of the church world looks at us and those who've got all the glam, and that's the model. Jesus is the model. Jesus is the model. He said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Was Jesus spiritually wealthy? Oh. Was he physically wealthy? He was homeless. He didn't invest in this world. He didn't care. He invested in the kingdom. He invested in people. He invested in, he laid down his life. It wasn't about storing up. It wasn't about preserving. We're not trying to preserve ourselves. We're one to, I want every drop to be poured out when I take my last breath. Amen? Amen. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you, here's going to be next week. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich. White garments that you may clothe yourself and that you, the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may really see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes. I have any overcomers in here? He who overcomes. I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, thank you. Thank you for this word, Lord. It has convicted me for weeks. I've been studying it for three weeks. I thank you for it. And Lord, I'd like to say that I've got everything accounted just right. Everything in its right box. Everything's, but it's not. Lord, I thank you that your mercy is so powerful. I thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to shine flashlights in areas in our life that you'll check us because you don't want us to be vomited.